verses 1 through 12. Also, I apologize, my uh, Bible doesn't match up exactly with the words on the screen. <coughs> a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a par paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the, man, the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw the faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I will tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have seen, never seen anything like this. Thank be God. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to think Jesus is a great person. Uh, I just... I, it's, a, it's to me, it's a silly story. It's idolization, basically, the idea that there's a human being that can be viewed as a god. I, I, I believe that uh, the teachings of Jesus uh, they ring true to me. This the way it makes sense to live that way. Jesus, I believe, was a liberal, and I think looking at where we're going, I think he'd be happy to see that people are becoming more and more accepting. I think I'm, I grow more curious about that every day um, uh, and, and how I can be a better person, um, maybe by following his teachings. And, and maybe it will be a, a fit for me and maybe it won't. But, you know, I'll, I have a lifetime to figure that out. Well, good morning again to everybody. And for those tuning in online, whether through Facebook Live or a podcast, if we have not met, my name is Patrick Cherry, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the Lord Church. And we have been wrestling with some of the big questions, haven't we, in this Explore God series. And so, uh, what are some of the questions that we've dealt with? Anybody remember? Here's the pop quiz at the beginning of the sermon. Why does God allow pain and suffering was one of the questions we had. Anybody else? Here, I'll let you off the hook. So we started with the question of, does life have a purpose? That was kind of where we started. Is, is there a purpose to life overall? And we discern that life is really meaningless if there is no greater purpose. And then we looked at the question of, is there a God? That was another one of just, does God even exist? And we discussed about that, and we, we looked at how 
there's evidence for God both in creation and our morality, intelligence and love, and all these things do point to there being a higher being. And then we answered, we, well, we didn't answer that question, but we wrestled with the question of why does God allow pain and suffering? And I mentioned how it's, it's, that's a difficult question to answer, that we can look to where God is in the midst of it, but we can't always answer exactly why does God allow it. And then last week, Rachel wrestled with the question of, is Christianity too narrow? And that's a, that's a big one too, because in some ways it's highly inclusive, and then in some ways it can be quite exclusive. So is Christianity too narrow? And we talked about God reaching out to us. And this question is, the question for this Sunday, as you could probably guess from the videos, we're going to talk a little bit more about Jesus. Who is Jesus? And the big question of, is Jesus really God? If that's what we teach and believe, is Jesus really God? So before we begin to tackle this question, let's return to God in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather in your name. I thank you for everyone here, for anyone listening on, whether we're here or listening later, Lord, it is not by accident. We pray that you would speak to us, that as we look at your scriptures, as we look at the history of our faith, and as we wrestle with this man named Jesus claiming to be your one and only son, that you would guide us and that you would send your Holy Spirit to enlighten us, prepare our hearts and our minds to receive your word. And Lord, I pray that as my words stray from yours, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten. But may your word, your truth, and your promise remain upon our hearts forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints said, amen. So we're often a product of our environments, are we not? You can probably look to parenting of, of your parents to see how you have turned out. And, you know, there used to be a time in my life that I wish that I could tell you that I was raised by cannibals in some foreign land, or perhaps even better yet, agnostic professors of an Ivy League school, and then somehow in the midst of all of that, I had this radical conversion to Christianity that would make for a really good story. Because maybe you've heard some really good stories, haven't you? You ever heard somebody's testimony and wish that was your testimony? Man, I wish my parents were drug dealers. Man, it would make for a better story. And you know what, I, there, there used to be part of me that really wished for that, because then, you know, we could do the, the made-for-TV movie based on this conversion, but mine is incredibly boring. But you know what, I have to admit, as I become a parent myself, I've learned to embrace my own story, my own testimony, because it speaks to me in powerful ways, and what a blessing it is that I didn't have cannibal parents who tried to eat me at an early age. Instead, I was raised by two wonderful parents who from the very beginning of my life were followers of Jesus. I knew the name of Jesus before I could even speak. I was baptized into the church before I could ever even walk. I learned to sing in the pews of my church, following along as my mom would point, like, you know, follow the bouncing finger instead of the bouncing ball on the hymnal as my mom would sing. And I learned about singing harmony because my dad always sang harmony to every melody that we would sing. I grew up going to Sunday school every single 
Sunday. We were always there. In fact, at one point in time, you know, in my small hometown, my parents had keys to three of the churches that were all right there. Because, you know, in small towns, all the churches come out so we can stare at each other when we come out of worship every Sunday. And my parents had keys to each of the churches for one reason or another. We were very involved in church. I have not just one Bible, but countless Bibles from my childhood. You know, you get one for every major milestone along the way. So I had countless Bibles by the time I ever even went off to college. And of course, now as a pastor, I have even more. But as a church planner, they're all in boxes and I just use my iPad. I experienced the beauty and the brokenness of the local church. And through that, you know, my faith grew, but you know what? That doesn't mean I never had my doubts and I never had my questions. Sure, I was told a lot about Jesus, but was it true? I never really doubted the existence of Jesus, but there reaches a time when I was questioning, is this guy who he really says he is, or at least what I was told? Or is it just a really good story like any story we would read before bedtime? It's something we all have to wrestle with. I never doubted that this Jesus was probably a really good guy. But is he more than that? Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, there was and is a time when we all have wrestled to understand who is this Jesus. It's a name many people recognize, but there's various opinions when it comes to Jesus. But if we're real honest, even now, there are parts about Jesus that perplex us. And we can't be For sure, for sure, even now, can we? See, that's the beauty and the complexity of this thing we call faith. There's evidence, there is God, but can I prove without a shadow of a doubt, have some test here to show you? No, there's still going to be doubters. If there's people who still believe the earth is flat, There's going to be people who look to Jesus and go, yeah, I'm I'm just, I'm not sure. But does faith truly have to be blind? Does faith have to be blind? That makes me think of a parable. Perhaps you've heard of this parable that there's, it illustrates kind of the, the differing opinions when it comes to the divine. You see, there's these four blind men and they wander into a room where there's an elephant But they don't know it's an elephant. They've never seen an elephant. They've never heard of an elephant. And so they roam around the room trying to discover what it is. And so one of the blind men walks up to the trunk and fills the trunk and says, Oh, it's a snake. It's a snake. And another one says, No, 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 no. You don't understand. As he's grabbing onto the legs and feeling around. It's a trunk. It's like it's a tree. It's a mighty tree. I can't even lift it and move it. Then another one's on the back end and finds the tail and goes, no, it's, it's certainly a rope. It's a rope is what we have here. And another guy's on the side of the elephant feeling the side and goes, no, certainly it's a wall. It has to be a wall. 
See, each man in his blindness is describing the same thing. An elephant yet describes the same thing in a radically different way. Have you ever heard that parable before? According to many, this is analogous to the different religions of the world all trying to describe the same thing in radically different ways. Thus, one should conclude that no individual religion has the corner on the truth, is what we're told, but that we all should be viewed as equally valid. So, is Jesus just another way of trying to describe this world we don't understand, this creation we don't understand, or is there something special about him? While this may seem to be a good explanation as finite creatures like us try to grasp this infinite God that we say is bigger than we can even comprehend, there are billions and billions of people over the course of 2,000 years who've reached the conclusion that there is something special about this man named Jesus and that he was no ordinary man. How did they arrive at that conclusion? Conclusion? Which part of the elephant are they touching to come to that conclusion? Well, let's take a closer look. Is there evidence for Jesus? What is it that followers of Jesus even believe about him? The simplest explanation for who Jesus is is Jesus is God in the flesh who came to redeem, reconcile, and restore. Or to blow it up just a little bit more, Jesus is God in the flesh who came to redeem brokenness, reconcile relationship, and restore creation. That is what we believe about Jesus. He came to redeem, reconcile, and restore. That's a really bold statement, especially that first part, God in the flesh. That's a bold statement to make about some man. And I can assure you that believers have arrived at this not through a purely blind faith. Can this be tested? So let's take a closer look at that. Jesus and his identity was foretold in prophecy. The Bible speaks about Jesus long before Jesus was even born. We hear in Psalm 2, 1 through 8, it predicts predicts Jesus' life and his reign. It speaks to that. And then you go to Isaiah, we hear about predicting Jesus' suffering and his reconciliation. We hear all about this and stuff, so the psalm passage is a thousand years before Jesus ever existed. The Isaiah passage is hundreds of years before Jesus existed, and yet we hear about this Jesus that is to come. Of course, it doesn't mention him by name, but we know by reading the gospel accounts of what they're speaking about. Are these... And these are just a few of the prophecies that we've seen. If you study the life of Jesus, you realize that there's so many things. He even quotes old scriptures as he's doing things, showing that he's fulfilling them. We, we had Palm Sunday not that long ago, and we learned that the donkey plays an important part because he's fulfilling a prophecy. It's speaking to who he is. These old prophecies who predated him speak to him. So that's prophecy. Prophecy. But what 
and that's what others say about him, but what does Jesus say about himself? Let's look at his teaching. In Matthew 26, Jesus accepts this messianic title, this idea of being the Jewish Messiah. He accepts it when they call him the Son of Man, which is not just saying, you know, he's, he's a human. The Son of Man title was a messianic title. It was known to be the Son of God. That's what they understood it to be. And he was claiming equality with God. And then just a few moments ago, Jared read for us a passage in Mark. And in that passage, after healing the paralytic, Jesus claims godly power. Because we hear, we hear the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees talking, why does this man speak like that? He, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they, question, they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Who can forgive but God? But yet, Jesus forgives. He was claiming something in saying those things. He wasn't claiming to just be a teacher. He was claiming to be God. That's what Jesus says about himself. Then there's the question of the resurrection. Jesus also did the impossible and even predicts it in his future. We see in the Gospel of John, Jesus metaphorically predicts his death and his resurrection when he says, they will destroy this temple and in three days it will rise up. In retrospect, it clearly speaks to his death on the cross and the three days in the tomb and his resurrection later. And then on top of that, what about history? Is there historical evidence? Well, it turns out there is historical evidence. Peter Croft puts, puts it this way. Why did thousands suffer torture and death for this life they knew it w- if it was a lie? What force sent Christians to the lion's den with hymns on their lips? What lie ever transformed the world like that? And then Aquinas says this, if the incarnation did not really happen, then an even more unbelievable mir- miracle happened. The conversion of the world by the biggest lie in history and the moral transformation of lives into unselfishness, detachment from worldly pleasures, and radically new heights of holiness by a mere myth. Wouldn't that be interesting? But let's return to the elephant in the room. Let's return to those blind men in the room with this elephant, this powerful image that has been used to speak to all these different philosophical truths pointing to the same thing. But to believe that that's what it's saying, we have to ignore some pretty big points. First of all, let's let's look at this philosophical argument. There is the fact of the matter that there is an elephant. There is an elephant in the room. What the blind men are attempting to describe is in fact an elephant and not something else. 
Just so there are factual questions regarding God. Does God exist is a question of fact, much like was Abraham Lincoln ever president of the United States? If so, it would be true whether anyone believes it or not. You can deny it, but one would be mistaken if they denied it. Thus, not all opinions, whether concerning elephants or the nature of God, are equally true. That's the first point. Second point is, all four blind men are in fact mistaken. The elephant is not a wall, a rope. It's not a tree, it's not a snake. Their opinions are not equally true, they were equally false. It is an elephant and not something else. At best, this analogy would point to all religions being wrong and not equally the same. But then there's a third point, and this is the most important for us to consider. This philosophic analogy does not take into account any kind of special revelation. Consider for a moment if a fifth man with sight were to come into the room, and he was able to demonstrate his sight to the four blind men and be able to tell them and describe the elephant in its entirety. This would change the analogy altogether, wouldn't it? He sees the truth and he is sharing with them the truth. Well, Jesus Christ is unique above all other religious leaders in history and claims to be that fifth man. He is the definitive revelation of God. Many of the people who watched Jesus' miracles and heard him speak were offended by his clear statements about his deity. This was why they sought all the more to kill him. There exists sufficient evidence for Jesus, but we also receive help from God as we earnestly seek him. This is the special revelation we talk about. Jesus is real, and yes, he really did say those bold things about his identity. But what about you? What do you say? What do you say about Jesus? Is he merely this good and moral teacher? As we heard in the video beforehand, there's a lot of people who uphold that. I'm not sure about this whole God thing, but, but yeah, the teachings of the Bible, they're, they're good. We can be moral people. That's a good thing. Is Jesus a moral teacher? Or is he some kind of prophet or really wise man? Or is he more than that? C.S. Lewis wrestles with this in a lot of his works. And, and he, he says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. He says either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. 
You can spit on him and kill him as a demon, and you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being some great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend it to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a friend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept of you that he was and is God. That's what C.S. Lewis points out. So we have three options according to Lewis. He was either a lunatic, a liar, or he is Lord. Now, some still might argue that that's not fair because there's, there's a fourth option that you're not even opening up. What if it's just a legend? What if we have invented this legend around Jesus? In other words, Jesus of the Bible is not the Jesus of history. Well, C.S. Lewis speaks to this as well. He says, if you hold that it's a legend and he's just some good moral teacher. The argument doesn't hold up. We may note in passing that he was never regarded as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects, hatred, terror, or adoration. This was no tr- there was no trace of people expressing mild approval of Jesus. He also shows how unlikely it would be for the Jews to invent this legend. If he is the Messiah of the Jews, it is highly unlikely that they would invent this legend of God made man. He says this, this is difficult because his followers were all Jews. That is, they belonged to the nation which of all others was most convinced that there was only one God. When all the other religions spoke of pluralistic gods, They spoke of only one. There could not possibly be another. It is very odd that this horrible invention about a religious leader should grow up among the one people in the whole earth least likely to make such a mistake. On the contrary, we get the impression that none of his immediate followers or even the New Testament writers embraced this doctrine of God-made man easily. And then he looks at it from one other angle. He says the other option is that the accounts of Jesus were written as legends. And Lewis, in his scholarly expertise, says this, Now, as a literary historian, I am perfectly convinced that whatever else the Gospels are, they are not legends. I have read a great deal of legend, and I'm quite clear that they are not the same sort of thing. They are not artistic enough to be legends. From an imaginative point of view, they are clumsy, They don't work up to things properly. Most of life of Jesus is totally unknown to us, as is the life of anyone else who lived at that time, and no people building up a legend would allow that to be so. Apart from bits of the Platonic dialogues, there is no conversation that I know of in ancient literature like the fourth gospel. There is nothing. Even in modern literature, until about a hundred years ago when the realistic novel came into existence. Therefore, we are only left with three options. Lunatic, liar, or Lord. What do you say? You have a decision to make. We all have a decision to make. Who is Jesus? But imagine with me 
if we could all embrace that last and true statement that Jesus is Lord? Would not our community be a better place if we could all rally around this God who steps in to redeem, restore, and reconcile? Is that a bad thing? The gospel by its very name means good news. Don't we need some good news in the world of bad news and fake news and whatever news? Couldn't we use some good news? This is good news. This is great news. If every one of us, me included, decided to set our life's compass on the bearing of Jesus... I believe it would impact the entire world. It changes everything. Because the bottom line is this. Because of his own testimony about himself, Jesus is either God or fraud. There is no logical middle ground. Jesus demonstrated his deity through prophecy, teaching, and the resurrection, and even history itself. The evidence is there. What conclusions will you draw? Is Jesus really God? You can only answer that for yourself. But I hope you too can come to the conclusion that Jesus really is God. And that can change the world. Let us go to God in prayer. Almighty God, as we wrestle with these deep questions of faith, We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit, your special revelation to help us better understand what it means to embrace Jesus as Lord. Lord, we pray for those who can't yet come to that conclusion. And we pray that you would speak to them and help show them the good news. We're not trying to warp minds, invite people into a cult. We are trying to change the world for the better. We are trying to embrace this good news that we see for ourselves, and we so much want to see for others. Convict us. Help us to boldly proclaim the truth in love. We pray all of this In the name of the God-made man, Jesus, amen. We have a great faith that binds us together and unites us. And so let us stand for a moment as we proclaim. Actually, let's sit for a moment because I have a little video to show you. Then we'll proclaim.